Hello and welcome back to part two of our discussion on whole life carbon management and the BAS 2080 standard. We hope you enjoyed part one. If you haven't had the chance to listen to it yet, do please go back and look at this first. Uh, otherwise, let's get back into the discussion with Luis and Helene. When you're looking at those decisions and, and the overall governance, do you start with the carbon calculations and work backwards, or do you make take some take some decisions first and then make do the calculations? How does this all fit together, or is it very very much? Uh, dependent on the individual project and organization? Well, it has to be integral, but everybody, it is a well-known saying, you can't reduce something that you, you haven't counted for. So having a very simple order of magnitude understanding of where your carbon is right at the beginning, where you're taking your decisions, you're setting your strategies and so on, is important. But the accuracy shouldn't get in the way of moving forward and making that decision. So it is proportionate level of detail in, in your quantification that is going to give you the right uh, choices and the right decisions is what we're after. To coin an old phrase, don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough. Absolutely. Yeah. And if, if I could just add to that, I think the assessment or the quantification is just one of the pieces of the puzzle. So just as I mentioned before, so if you don't know what to do without that number, it it's not of any use really. So if you don't have an organization, the structure that will support you with skills, with resources, with people to actually even further reduce uh, emissions across the project, take that number and make use of it. Um, it's just one piece of the puzzle. So if you don't have targets that come from the leadership of com that come from top down, they're aligned with you know the rest of the portfolios of assets of that organization. We're aligned with a budget, if 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 that is the case, um, a national budget. Then it's just a number in 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 the midst of many other things. So the assessment is one piece, but if not put into context of other pieces, which is the target, the monitoring, the continued improvement, the resources, the leadership, it's its not really of any use. And that comes back to, I think, a problem that a number of organizations have struggled with over the last really decade where this has come to the forefront, that it's all very well having a carbon calculation. It's all very well having people willing to make the decisions. But until you've got a knowledge of what that carbon calculation means or what the options available to you are, and you have the right people in the organization with the right knowledge to not just interpret what's happening, but also advise the people making the decisions about what the options are, how important they are, and what the effects of those will be, which comes back to your governance point, of course. Um, it all is mumbo jumbo to the people who are making the decisions and they're floundering somewhat. And I know we've had conversations with a number of people within the firm over the last few years that they want to make these changes, but they're not sure how to use the information they have or what the options are available to them to make the right changes to bring themselves uh, within the, the net zero targets and decarbonisation process uh, that the government is currently trying to put all companies to. One part of that, of course, is because we're talking about the whole system and not just the construction project or the redevelopment project, it also comes down to end users as well. So how do you use this standard to affect the, the habits of end users as well as 
just the organization that is actually owning the building or constructing the building. Yeah. I think for that, uh, it depends who and when. So if you're thinking about from a perspective of a regulator or a government authority or a financier, by including PASS 2080 compliance or an alignment with its principles as part of their regulatory planning or investment framework uh, is one way of using it to affect end users. Because just like TCFD and FCR are influencing, for example, how investment portfolios are being shaped, PASS 2080 can bring more specific requirements to drive systemic change. So going beyond the compliance aspect, and this has a direct impact on end users since infrastructure and buildings directly provide services and basic needs to users. So by investing on the right things, you end up giving uh, end users the ability to have low carbon choices or making low carbon decisions. Um, from a developer perspective, for example, when we talk about systemic systems thinking and integrating carbon into decision making, Understanding the impact on end users is, is, is really key. It's actually key to implement these aspects in practice. So, for example, when a developer is considering buying new land or developing a scheme with a certain density or land use mix, um, by including carbon to its business model early on, they can make decisions such as, you know, focusing on transit-oriented developments that lead to, from an end-user perspective, less dependency on private vehicles that reduces user emissions. And at the same time, it promotes active lifestyles and creates greater well-being. So by applying the standards and the principles in it, the developer's decisions are led by outcomes and value, which ultimately leads to a more positive effect in its users, in its residents, and their habits. So that's how you link the two. One of the things we commonly hear when we're looking at decarbonisation, it, it's often all over the news and in the articles we read, uh, is about science-led or innovation-led solutions to the carbon uh, problem, although al almost equally as often we hear the phrase, science cannot save us. So what is your view on how innovation sits within the, the overall structure of PASS 2018, is that really the only conversation that we should be having? Innovation means a lot of different things. So you have technological innovation. There is a lot of emphasis on how you're going to decarbonize concrete and steel, which is a very difficult innovation to make happen. There is also innovation in the way your business model addresses decarbonization, the way uh, financing mechanisms and so on. Innovation means is essential for decarbonization across the whole spectrum, but it has to be recognized is one thing generating ideas that are innovative and another thing giving enough time and the space to make innovation implementable on the ground. And I think at the moment, we are not thinking about innovation or addressing innovation early enough in the delivery of any project. Um, and as a result, we make it very expensive and very difficult to implement it on the ground. So there is that uh, element of, again, planning ahead so that uh, we can do things differently. Yeah, if I could, if I could just add to that. Um... I think when we hear innovation from a carbon management perspective, it's about 
not only the technological aspect, which it comes to people's mind usually, it's about finding better ways of working, of collaborating together. So I think the new clause on procurement is a great addition to the past because it drives that, you know, different ways of working together, of setting up contracts, of setting procurement process, financial financial uh, mechanisms, financial arrangements that cover decarbonization aspect, which is, you know, you need to consider risk, you need to consider um, liabilities, you need to consider costs, you need to consider the emissions in, in a context of a budget. So it's a multi-factor process and new ways of work need to reflect it. I think the way we have done projects in the past will not be able to to do that. And I think that's where to 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 take us there. So and I think that's where I think innovation is really key. I think it's interesting to create that distinction between technological innovation and innovation within an organization, if you will, because we all hear about hydrogen steel or arc furnace steel. We hear about reduction in the use of clinker for concrete. We hear about hydrogen bulldozers being used on site. And these are all wonderful technological advances that we're still quite a long way from necessarily being implemented in a, at any significant level. But in many ways, you can create uh, a very similar reduction in carbon just by managing that process better, by being smarter with the design that you put in place that and how you procure and finance all of this work uh, and indeed the full portfolio. And that in itself is the innovation that needs to be undertaken even ahead of the scientific innovation. So there is uh, this uh, carbon reduction hierarchy that is um, at the forefront of, uh, of any carbon management uh, discussion. So avoid is the top of the, uh, the hierarchy. Aver avoid putting that concrete or steel in the ground in the first place if you can achieve the intended outcome in a, a different way retrofitting, repurposing, and so on. Switch to practices that uh, are lower carbon. The way you switch to the way you're treating risk, for instance, and how you design or constructing uh, with uh, that in mind. So uh, it is the next tier. And then think about improving the technological aspects of, you know, your concrete a specification, a steel specification, and so on. Avoid putting the concrete in the first place is much bigger than trying to take every drop of carbon out of your concrete. It's more difficult and more expensive. And of course, we're seeing an awful lot coming through government at the moment about carbon reduction for the future. We've got the 2037-2050 decarbonisation plan. Without knowing who's listening to our discussion. I, I don't know how uh, much knowledge they have about this. So, do you want to just set out briefly what the decarbonisation plan is and how it fits with the UK as a whole, if you will? So, the obligation, the legal obligations that we have, are getting to a net zero uh, carbon by 2050. But there is also the even more ambitious interim milestone at 78% by 2037, the more ambitious interim uh, target of 78% by 2035. That requires a very big push by all. That also, however, changes completely the setting um, 
in terms of cost. The investors uh, in this space are increasingly putting more ambitious price on carbon, you know, as to reflect the uh, urgency and the very tight timescales, the price of carbon, the carbon that you're left with and, and, and have yet to reduce is getting more and more expensive as time goes by. That is going to change completely the um, cost-benefit uh, analysis, cost-benefit ratios that we currently use uh, to evaluate projects and, uh, and and their viability. So the offsetting has become a the, the way to push things down the, the, the line and not change things that are very difficult to change. The timelines are short. 2035 is not far away. We need to think about carbon removals in a different way than just paying our way out of not decarbonizing. So that is a big shift in the whole industry, and it is related to money. There's certainly a lot of greenwashing that goes on these days with uh, the purchase of uh, carbon credits, if you will, or reductions in carbon emissions uh, via payment schemes is is certainly a big problem. Um, and it's in many ways a false economy. I think that we're just driving this further down the line when it's going to become more and more and more expensive and harder and harder and harder to do it. And we would have to do so much more in such a shorter period to then hit the target if we don't uh, start making these changes very quickly. How important, to put you on the spot, do you see past 2080 as being when looking at the future proofing? It's super important. It's not perfect, you know. It's the first time we're trying to do uh, that big change in the built environment. So we may not have got it fully right, but it has all the right ingredients for that, securing that future, future proofing. Particularly that understanding, that relationship between investing money and carbon now for not have a force for, for having a sustainable uh, a net zero future. That relationship, you know, capital and operational expenditures sit normally in different departments, sometimes not talking to each other. So that bringing the two together is where we're trying to get to. And also recognizing the manual the, 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 the expenditure required for retrofitting resilience to a changing climate that is unavoidable uh, is also something that cannot be sort of isolated as a separate department, a separate decision making. So hopefully the standard is going to drive the right decisions at the right time. And just moving away from the development side for a moment, we've we briefly touched on landlords and investors, um, and certainly with uh, the new MES regulations and, and other regulations coming through, how would you see those groups using past 2080 to plan for their future? Yeah. Um, I think what Helene just mentioned about looking from a whole life perspective is really important because, for example, MIS regulations are looking for at the operational cycle of, of a building, so it's energy efficiency, 
Um, however, if you don't think about that from a capital perspective as well, uh, and the improvements that you need to make, for example, for, to existing buildings or how you actually design new buildings to be extremely efficient and you don't, don't combine the two cycles, then you don't necessarily will meet the regulation. So I think taking a whole life perspective and, and something that it sits across the whole past is is a key thing for for investors and landlords that want to follow its principles to future-proof uh, their assets. But I think two more things. It's from a strategic perspective, by following the past orientation principles, um, they are essentially not surprised once new regulations kick in because the tendency is that more and more of these will keep coming. And uh, by following a, a carbon management process, by having a carbon management process in place, it means that the the landlord and the investors already have uh, a mechanism in place to drive for better performance, to aim for low carbon solutions, to think of look at things from a holistic perspective, which is the S of of PESIS two eighty. So, uh, as a consequence, they're already future proofing their organizations for these changes that will keep coming. And then similarly, one thing that is really important and is embedded across all all the document is the the importance of collaboration and partnerships. Uh, to for for future proofing actually because again these regulations and new things they will keep coming the the built environment is changing uh, to address these emergencies and one person or one organization on its own will not be able to tackle it so um, when the time comes by having the right partners the right collaborators on your side to deliver this will be crucial so that you can you know effectively and rapidly respond to these changes. Thank you all for joining us for this discussion on uh, whole life carbon management in the past 2080 standard. Hopefully you've all found it quite interesting whether you are a landlord or a developer or even if you don't work within the built environment, there's almost certainly systems that will be useful to you in understanding your own organization-wide carbon management. There are quite a number of key takeaways, I think, from this, so I'm not going to, to go through them all, but I think possibly the most important of these is that we cannot and should not anymore look at developments or buildings or parts of a portfolio in isolation. The country and even the world is a complex system of interlocking parts, each of which relies on the others to understand how it is producing carbon uh, and each one affects the other. Now, as was said earlier, the standard past 2080 may not be absolutely perfect. It is early in the process. This is one of the first, if not the first, standard to deal with carbon management at this system-wide and organization-wide level. It may not work perfectly for every organization. Every organization is different, as is every system. But the key point is that this standard is there if absolutely nothing else to guide your conversations to understand uh, or bring about a better understanding of carbon within your organization and within the system as a whole so that it can become embedded in every process that carbon can be managed at every level and needs to be looked at as a whole and if that can come into the thinking of organizations at a board level, at a senior management level, all the way down through 
to individual projects and individual building managers, and it becomes ingrained in those processes that carbon has to be considered. The decisions are taken earlier, the costs are lower, and the effects are greater, and we don't build up problems for 2030, 2032, when we have no time left to hit the 78% reduction. But more than that, adopting this type of process or a similar process will help you, or should help you, to future-proof yourself against the regulations that are inevitably coming. We all know about the Mies regulations and the EPC requirements on uh, new leases uh, and possibly even property sales. We've all heard about the the chances that there will be whole-life carbon calculations required as part of planning. However, if these processes are ingrained in your organisational structure at a high level, at an early stage in the process, you should be in a wonderful position to either be already ahead of the curve when these regulations come out or not need to make anything like the level of changes you otherwise would in a short timescale in order to be compliant with the new regulations. So I hope this has been interesting to you all. It only leaves me to thank my guests for today. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope everyone's found this very interesting and we look forward to you listening to the next one.